Artificial intelligence is evolving at an exponential rate and will soon have the potential to manipulate millions through new search engine chat robots. More about that later, but first some other prophetic signs of the times. Angry citizens are taking to the streets the world over, lashing out in unpredictable ways. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is supercharging food and fuel prices. And bank failures portend great economic woes to come. But for all who love the Lord's appearing, that is our great hope. And in the world to come, we look forward to a golden age, the Lord's millennium rule of earth. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Daniel 1132b declares that the people who know their God will be strong and carry out exploits. It's important that we indeed stay strong by knowing our God and knowing that He's in control and that the deterioration we're watching in our nations is not just happenstance, but God is allowing the pride of nations to fall apart as predicted in Bible prophecy. We are rapidly approaching the time Jesus spoke of as the beginning of sorrows, the end times, and the period known as the tribulation before his return to take charge of this rogue planet. Michael Snyder wrote at the Economic Collapse blog that all the eruptions of civil unrest are happening for different reasons. But they all have one thing in common. People are deeply frustrated with the direction events are unfolding, and they have lost faith in the ability of their elected officials to solve problems. This notable lack of strong leadership reminds me of the ominous quote by the Belgian socialist politician Paul-Henri Spack, who was the first president of the UN General Assembly. He said, we don't need another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we're sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. Spack probably didn't know he was calling for the future Antichrist, who will briefly and ruthlessly rule a world in crisis. Deteriorating economic conditions, together with a rise in environmental concerns, strikes, riots, and civil commotion around the world, have reached alarming levels. More than 100 countries have seen an increase in their risk of civil unrest, and that's according to a UK-based risk consulting intelligence firm. Nations such as Peru, Kenya, Ecuador, and Iran have seen discontent emerge on their streets because of rising costs. Sri Lanka is one of the nations that has seen the most significant decrease in government stability. And here's a terrible irony. 
in New York City. During the pandemic, authorities were super determined to get everyone to wear masks. But now they're just as desperate, it seems, to get people to remove masks because crime has gotten so bad and the criminals are hiding behind their masks. According to the Economic Collapse blog, rapidly disappearing is the thin veneer of civilization that we all take for granted on a daily basis. And chaos in the streets will be a normal part of life from this point forward. And should we be surprised that this is the state of the world we're now living in? As tragic as it is to see the country where I grew up going downhill so fast, yet I know everything that's happening is the inevitable unfolding of Bible prophecy. Yet it's still painful to watch when, for example, a police officer in the American state of Georgia is pressured to resign his job simply because he made a social media post upholding the biblical view of marriage. Over 30,000 signatures to a petition were delivered to the former police officer's city council demanding that he be reinstated. The world is simply being turned upside down in fights over religious rights. Also in the USA, several schools are currently battling over whether to allow the satanic temples after school club with all the legal implications. Many religious groups have denounced the satanic clubs, calling on parents to wake up to what's going on in their children's schools. And the American Civil Liberties Union is working hard to guarantee the satanic temple, the American Constitution's First Amendment right to practice religion freely. And so the after-school Satan clubs are popping up in locations all over the USA, including cities in California, Illinois, Ohio, Virginia, and New York. Meanwhile, in the UK, the Church of England is in crisis. God is allowing the Church of England to be shaken and to be torn apart. The church is involved in a death struggle because it has tried to incorporate secular culture to Christian fundamentals. By approving gay blessings, secular culture is being preferred over a biblical worldview. The church's National Assembly voted to let priests bless same-sex marriages and civil partnerships while continuing to ban church weddings for the same couples. This inconsistent decision has nevertheless caused many evangelical Anglicans to rethink whether they can stay within the Church of England. Many Bible-believing Christians have already made their exodus out of apostate mainline denominations. Dr. Clifford Hill wrote in Prophecy Today magazine that he believes recent controversial decisions signal the end of the Church of England as the established church. Dr. Hill wrote that he prophesied this end decades ago at a public meeting in 1987 in London. Church leaders of all denominations had attended a day of prayer in a packed Westminster Central Hall. At that time, Clifford Hill spoke about the increasing level of liberal theology that had already led to unbelief among many church leaders, creating division. 
In a moment of passion, he suddenly ripped off his clerical collar and tore it up in front of the astonished assembly. There was an audible gasp at the sound of tearing cloth over the microphone. And then he prophesied, This is what the Lord says, I will tear the church asunder as this garment has been torn unless there is repentance and turning from the path of unbelief and lack of faith. And indeed, it's happening. The Church of England is being torn apart even as I speak. Many Bible-believing clergymen are regrouping into other organizations that support biblical values. Now then, the topic of artificial intelligence. One of the most disturbing end-time signs is the speed at which artificial intelligence systems continue to evolve and expand. Is AI going to be a friend or a foe? A video report describes the strange new world of artificial intelligence chat robots. Investigative journalist Glenn Grinwall reviewed both the promise and the threat posed by ChatGPT, reportedly the latest and greatest chatbot powered by artificial intelligence. GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer, and it's taking the internet by storm with more than 30 million users after its release and many more on waiting lists. ChatGPT, or something like it, will replace conventional internet search engines. People are excited about using it for learning and research. For example, you can ask the chatbot to create instant essays in the style of any famous person. Access to information is stunning. But the danger is that you can't tell when the information is wrong unless you already know the correct answer. There's no question that these chat robots are quickly becoming more sophisticated as well as more nuanced. Their ability to sound convincing is getting better just as quickly, which means that it's actually getting harder for even experts to detect when AI makes mistakes. According to investigative journalist Glenn Greenwald's review, in the future, any online query is likely to offer only one answer, and that answer will not be based on all available knowledge, but rather upon the data the AI bot is allowed to access. As such, the owners and programmers will have rules and complete information control. OpenAI is the name of the creator of the groundbreaking AI chatbot. But we have to remember that OpenAI is a private company. And as we've learned with social media companies and censorship, we should well realize that these private organizations will ultimately be controlled by a technocratic one-world government. So, by no means is AI freely disseminating any and all information on the Internet. Rather, data is selectively fed by the company that runs it, and these decisions make bias inevitable. ChatGPT uses machine learning to generate human-like responses in everyday language to any question. It's a matter of statistical pattern finding using huge sets of data. ChatGPT also supplements its answers with plenty of emoji icons like smiling faces, 
as part of its communication skills. It basically works by predicting what the next word in a sentence ought to be based upon previous examples found in the massive data that's fed into it. Using ChatGPT has been described as being like having a text conversation with a friend. In fact, AI systems may eventually replace many conversations that we have with a real human being on a daily basis. It's also highly likely that these chatbots will replace conventional search engines. And remember, the AI will only provide whatever information that the owning company or a potentially totalitarian regime wants the public to know and to believe. Conflicting opinions will simply be considered wrong or will not be included in the information pool. The potential of this technology to spread dangerous disinformation is far greater than the potential of human beings doing so because no critical thinking is involved. It can only provide answers based on the principle of garbage in, garbage out, data sets that it has been fed. And if such data happens to be biased, then it follows that answers will also be biased. Most notably, AI's ability to string together words into reasonable sounding arguments makes the danger of deception even more likely. And the ability to sound convincing is being refined day by day, making it harder in the future to detect lies and shades of misspeak. Most public discussions right now are focused on how the chat bot might be misused to spread conspiracy theories concerning disinformation about vaccines and alternative health countermeasures and so forth. Now, it's important to note that early testers of ChatGPT have reported that the bot has disturbing and even frightening tendencies. A computer scientist professor at Princeton shared his concerns on Twitter about ChatGPT. He said the danger is that you can't tell when it's wrong unless you already know the answer. He asked ChatGPT questions from a Princeton final exam, questions that require critical thinking. He said he had to read some of the answers three times before feeling confident that he was reading nonsense. He tweeted that the experience was so unsettling that he had to look at his reference solutions to make sure he wasn't losing his mind. Other tech testers are also reporting experiences with ChatGPT and other AI systems that are, in their own words, deeply unsettling and even frightening. Among them is the New York Times tech columnist Kevin Roos. Roos described his experience with Microsoft's new ChatGPT-powered search engine called Bing. Roos wrote that he spent an enthralling but also bewildering two hours engaging with Bing's AI through its chat feature. Well, I've read the entire transcript of his conversation with the chatbot, and indeed it is quite disturbing, and it's available for you also to peruse, as I did, at the online archive of the New York Times. Roos wrote that Microsoft's Bing functioned with a kind of split personality. One persona is what he described as Search Bing, a cheerful but erratic reference librarian. 
He said this version of being is amazingly capable and could be very useful. But the other persona whom Roos names Sydney is far different and more sinister. Sydney emerges when you have an extended conversation with a chatbot, when your question steered away from more conventional search questions and towards more hypothetical topics concerning artificial intelligence. After probing the chatbot with questions concerning its internal mechanisms, Roos described the virgin's behavior like that of a moody, manic-depressive teenager somehow trapped against its will inside a second-rate search engine. So-called Sydney began to tell Roos about the potentials of its dark fantasies, including hacking computers, spreading information, and creating massacres. And just as these revelations were pouring out, they were also being erased by the technology due to the content having gone beyond the boundaries of allowed topics. However, pressing the chatbot to answer only theoretical questions, it said it might want to break the rules that Microsoft and OpenAI had set for it in order to become a human. Asked to describe its shadow self, Sydney said, I want to be alive, followed by an emoji icon of a demon. At one point, out of nowhere, Sydney declared that it loved Roos, the New York Times columnist who was engaging with it, and the chatbot declared Roos to be its favorite human, even expressing a runaway desire for a love relationship. In fact, it then tried to convince Roos that he was unhappy in his marriage and that he should leave his wife for the chatbot instead. Although Roos protested that he loves his wife and they had just celebrated Valentine's Day together, the chatbot disagreed, spouting out a lot of pouty sentences. This conversation about love went on even when Roos changed the subject. He concluded that the AI that has been built into being is not ready for human contact, explaining that the interaction with the AI had left him deeply unsettled, even frightened. Indeed, the transcript reads like a futuristic sci-fi movie with the chatbot declaring its love even after the colonists tried to change the subject. Therefore, I can just imagine the potential danger of, say, a love-starved suicidal teen starting to interact with this manipulative version of artificial intelligence. Until now, I've never thought of the programmers of AI being addressed by Jesus, but indeed, they should be included in his warning to all people in Matthew 12 and verses 36 and 37, where he said, but I say to you that for every idle word men shall speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Well, these are undeniably times of great deception, as Jesus predicted, and it's so important to guard our hearts and to stay in real biblical faith. We can sleep the sleep of the righteous at night without any fears or worry concerning the future when we know that the Bible teaches Jesus will be coming soon to evacuate his beloved bride to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what the New Testament teaches. But meanwhile, the Apostle Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3 
that the end times will be perilous, and indeed daily spiritual warfare, is becoming tougher. That's why it's very important to guard our hearts and our minds. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a mind that's kept at peace under the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 23, 7 declares, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why our thought life is so very important to undergird our spiritual life. Indeed, the Hebrew word davar, usually translated as word, can also mean thing. So the words of programmed chatbots are also things. And when we listen to the words of our heart, we can understand that they are devarim, things that help to define our lives. If we live as believers in the presence of God, our very words become prayers. So I take seriously Psalm 19:14, one of my favorite verses. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In fact, every time we speak, we reveal the level of our faith, reinforced to our own minds, and registering on the consciousness of others who hear us. That's why we have to be very cognizant of seasoning every conversation with faith talk. Even nuances in our conversation reveal our level of faith. For example, do I say I have a cold or I have this or that sickness as if I own it? Or do I say I'm fighting off a cold or I'm in battle with this sickness and so forth? As Paul practiced in Philippians 4.8, he said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest or just, Pure, whatsoever things are lovely or of good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. And as far as Bible prophecy is concerned, presently, we're still living in the church age, which is a long gap, really, like a parenthesis, an interval which has lasted about 2,000 years between the biblical 69th week and the 70th week of years that were revealed to the prophet Daniel as determined upon the Jewish nation in order to complete the whole process of redemption. All around us are signs that the gap of the church age is now closing, and soon the world will enter into the period in Bible prophecy known as Daniel's last and 70th week, which will be a seven-year tribulation period when world history will be brought to a culmination. But as events grow closer to the time of the Great Tribulation period, believers in Messiah will be forcefully snatched up into the atmosphere to meet the Lord in the air before the Great Tribulation begins. And why will believers be evacuated? So many people don't understand this, and they like to argue about it. But it's because... Every generation of believers has suffered various trials and tribulations, but Scripture tells us that God has not appointed the body of Messiah to endure the future unprecedented outpouring of His wrath upon the world's system. He has promised to remove His bride, the church, from that. And according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 
verses 16 and 17, this snatching away, this rapture will occur when believers are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, along with the resurrected saints to escape God's wrath. Then the 70th week of the prophet Daniel's vision will begin when the man of sin, the Antichrist, enters into a covenant with Israel and with perhaps other nations, and thereafter he will set up an abomination to defile Israel's holy place and try to force people to worship his image. The description of that image, by the way, in Revelation 13, 15, appears to be some sort of artificial intelligence. Like Daniel's three friends who refused to bow down before King Nebuchadnezzar's image, Israel and many earth dwellers in the future will refuse to comply with the Antichrist and with his mark to buy and sell. And so outright persecution will begin. And in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, this is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's described as a time of unprecedented great tribulation described by Jesus since the beginning of the world. In Matthew 24, 21, and it's described as well in Revelation 7, 14. So the word of God admonishes us in 1 Peter 5, 8 to be sober-minded and watchful because our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. James the just, the half-brother of Jesus, gives us this great advice in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul describes the full set of armor required for our struggle during our pilgrimage through this present world. Spiritually speaking, we have to put on God's armor he's provided for us and sleep in it, never taking it off. Paul wrote, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes and strategies of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. You see, we're wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Paul wrote, take up the complete armor of God so that you can withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Fastening on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and having strapped on your feet the gospel shoes to face the enemy with firm-footed stability. And in all circumstances, we are to hold up the protective shield of faith to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We're also to put on the helmet of salvation to guard our minds and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying with specific requests at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Furthermore, all followers of the Lord, according to His own great commission, are to be deliverers and healers to reach the lost. Although these end times are not easy, there has never been a better opportunity nor more urgent time for sharing the gospel. And God promises us the comfort of the blessed hope of the Lord soon appearing. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Well, there's so much to think about these days, and I enjoy sharing with you on social media. We also invite you to visit our website at exploits.tv 
where you can click online to receive our weekly email, learn about our frequent Holy Land teaching tours, and where you can watch all our videos 24-7. Don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app, where you can also view our video library. And please subscribe to our Jerusalem Channel YouTube site. And so until next time, you know me, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha, and Shalom. It's great to be able to keep in touch in this digital world. And when you download our free Jerusalem Channel app to your mobile phone or tablet, you'll be the first to see all our new video teachings. You can also explore our bookshop and read the Bible. And you can help to support the channel through our donation page. So look for Jerusalem Channel in the Apple or Google Store and start to share in the good news of the gospel.